podcast that is maybe my favorite smith song it's really high up there for me Mm. Uh, i'm I'm more uh i don't know uh big mouth strikes again maybe i just like any any song that's about misery any song where it's like you just haven't earned it yet baby that's 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 a a, a smith song then (laughs) yes (laughs) some of them are happy Hairdresser on Fire is a happy yeah, song. I um, so I'm Christy Lemire. I'm Alonzo Duralde. It's really good to see you. Always a pleasure, madam. It is Tuesday night, and it's a very special Tuesday night edition because it's Thanksgiving week, and you're going somewhere tomorrow, right? Yes. Uh, Dave and I are going to Albuquerque to hang out with his family for the holidays, so we are taping early to cover the many movies that are opening this week. There are many. And uh, so what happens in Albuquerque? Like, who makes what? What's the specialty that you guys eat? Um, you know, this is... It's been a while since I've been, uh, and the, 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 it, it's a uh, you know it's actually a two mealer. So we have one house that we hit, and then another house that we hit. Okay. So. Okay. So you know that's the upside of divorce. Sometimes <laughs> there are more Thanksgiving meals, multiple kinds of stuffing and green bean casserole. Or whatever. Indeed. Um, we will just be here. Chris has to work, and uh, Nick and I have many fun places to go. So we will be doing that. All right. Yes, and various breakfasts and dinners, and I'm taking him to a screening. On the Disney lot of Mary Poppins Returns. Oh, okay. So I think it's like one of the first showings of it. Okay. So we'll do that. Um, but before then, we have many, many movies that are important and might be in your awards conversations eventually. Um, starting with what may be my favorite movie of the year. Okay. And it is the favorite. Mm-hmm. With a U. It is. The favorite. Um, so let's just launch into that. Okay, sure. Um, and... Uh, I just love it, even though it's it's Yorgos Lanthimos, whose films I, I love for the most part. I love The Lobster. Didn't quite love Killing of a Sacred Deer so much, but love Dog Tooth. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan of his in general. You should go back and see Alps. I never saw Alps. Dave's a big fan. Okay. So this is a more accessible Yorgos Lanthimos film. I mean, superficially, aesthetically, yes, if, yes. if nothing else. It looks like a very stuffy and very staid and traditional kind of costume period drama. Mm-hmm. But it has his his wit and his bite yes. beneath it. So um, it takes place in the early 18th century. Olivia Coleman, who really, really needs to do more leading work like this in film. I know she does in television. But yeah. um, Olivia Coleman plays Queen Anne, who is... Given to fits of capriciousness, and there's a, a childlike kind of tempestuousness about her. Neediness. Yeah, she, she's needy, she's clingy, but she's also um, quick to dismiss people, you know. She's, she's like Trump. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. There's some similarities there. And, and, and her longtime best friend, and more is... Lady Sarah, played mm-hmm. by Rachel Weisz. And Lady Sarah has been with her throughout, and they trust each other, and they need each other. Queen Anne is actually just sort of the uh, the figurehead here, and Lady Sarah really actually runs shit. Yeah, she's the power behind yes, the Yes, um, and it's a nice arrangement they have going until a young lady, who used to be of a, of a, of a good noble family and has fallen on hard times, is a new servant in the court, and she's played by Emma Stone. Her name is Abigail, and she's cunning, and she works her way up, and she works her way to the queen's side. And so it's this battle between these three really powerful personalities and strong wills, and it's just thrilling and mean and it's, it's, juicy. <laughs> it's all about Eve and corsets. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Um, except Olivia Coleman just gets to like lounge in bed all day because she's got you know various ailments mm. and the cake she has to eat <laughs> and then throw up. So it's it looks like a really stubby period drama, but there's so much going on in terms of tone. There is still that kind of like off-kilter Yorgos Lanthimos tone in that you think you know how a certain scene is going to play out, and it will just go into some kind of weird direction, whether it's a dance might not play out with the kind of choreography you would expect from a ball in this time period, 
or just the, the, uh, the smudge of a rouge is too harsh somehow, things like that. Yeah, the you, know, you, you see um, uh, Emma Stone sort of coyly seducting, seducing, seducing, thank you, mm-hmm. speaking English, <laughs> coyly seduces uh, a nobleman who she's sort of, you know, using as kind of a stepping stone, and the way that she handles him is very kind of, you know, once she has what she needs from him, it's, it's ultimately becomes very perfunctory, and it's interesting how this movie, you know, this and, have you seen Mary Queen of Scots yet? No, I need to. Because they both have this interesting sort of, like, female take on these kinds of period pieces in terms of what women have to do to get power, to stay in power, to wield their power, um... But this one is, is it's much juicier and sort of s- cruelly soap operatic in the way that Yorgos Lantimos can be. Yeah, it's, it's soapy, but it's not empty. I mean, it definitely, oh, no, is, no, no, it's, no. A, it's a lot about, yeah, as you say, female power. And the, the men in this thing are just useless. Yeah. Yeah, they are pawns and they are toys and the, the women really are in charge. And yet there are also glimmers that these people do actually care about each other on some level, especially Olivia Coleman and Rachel Weisz, because mm-hmm. that relationship has been so long established. And you feel like, despite the fact that they are kind of screwing each other over at times, there is deep love there, or yes. at least deep need there between them. And then Emma Stone just comes in and just like winds her way in and just cruelly wrecks everything for fun. Um, yeah, I had a blast with this. I never knew where it was going. Um, it is impeccably crafted. Maybe a couple too many fisheye lenses, but I know why he's doing that. He's oh. doing it to make us fill off kilter. Yeah, well, that, and I think just like the way he uses space, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and the sort of the, the geography in which he's sort of placing these characters and how long it takes to walk from one room to another room. Mm-hmm. Like, that is very much, I think, part of the story he's telling in the world that he's creating. Mm-hmm. No, and the, the costume, Sandy Powell, is, you know, mm. of course, genius, long-time yes. Oscar-winning um, costume designer. But even that, like, there's something extra going on <laughs> with these dresses and with the hair and the yeah. production design. Like, the little subtle tweaks here and there that over and over again tell you that you're not in the kind of world that you are perhaps accustomed to being in. And I just loved it. I want to see it again. It's just deliciously mean. Mm-hmm. But there's also, like, unexpected pathos beneath it all that I found kind of unexpected and <laughs> and mo- not moving but disquieting perhaps yeah. Yeah. is the word for I it mean, and it's, it's not as discomforting as something like you know killing of a sacred deer but it is still kind of sticking it to you in a way that you yeah. will you will leave the theater amused but ooh. well he didn't write <laughs> this is an unusual film that he didn't write the screenplay with his longtime collaborator um Ephemius Filippo, right? Mm-hmm. We, we gave them the screenwriting award a couple of years ago at Lafka for The Lobster. Right. Because my, 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 my new boyfriend, Colin <laughs> Farrell, had to show up and accept the award for them. But um, this is written by other people, and this is a, a rare example of, of Yogos Lanthimos adapting somebody else's screenplay. Right. So perhaps that softens some of the edges. Because, yeah, it's not as chilly and precise as the tone we are accustomed to from him, but it's still got a bite. Yes, for, so, sure, for sure. Do you think he's trying to say something about the current state of politics in any particular country? <laughs> he's I, Greek. This takes place in England. Right. Is this a Trump-like figure in Queen Anne, do you think? I mean, I, I hadn't thought about it, and I think that maybe, like, for all of her flaws, Queen Anne is still a more stable leader than Trump right. is. More, more competent, um, at least. But I will think about that as I see it again, because yes. I, I, too, would like to see it again yes. at some point. Um, so what is your number? What is my number? It's an 8.8. 8. 8. Here's the thing. The, the first two movies that we're talking about today, I saw at the Venice Film Festival. Okay. That and was so, August, right? Yes. <laughs> and so, like, that was seeing a lot of movies crammed together, and I think I might have been, like, I may have been a little conservative with my scores. So, yes, I said at the time at 8.8, 8, but, uh, you know, were I to do it now, I'd probably, you know, allow myself to go a little higher. You could do it now. It's... It's stuck in stone at it's, Metacritic. I don't want to hear from people about how I changed my numbers. We so, are we know. are an apples and oranges situation <laughs> here, though. You can you can we can do whatever we want. It's our little podcast. You want to change your number? No, I can change my number because the number <sighs> the number means nothing. But it's a great movie. You should absolutely go see it. It's one of the best films of the year. Okay. Well, I'm saying a ten. And you are not wrong. <laughs> okay. So, do you also want to join me in the world of ten? It's liberating. Stop the the air is the air is clear up here. Stop pressuring me. <laughs> All right. So, um, our number with an asterisk is a nine point four, which is still pretty great. Um, it's at ninety six percent on the tomato meter, um, and this is one of two really, really 
great, important movies coming out this week. The, the next one, which I think maybe Alonzo might want to describe, sure. is Roma. So this is a, a, a kind of a memory piece from Alfonso Cuaron. Um, Roma is a neighborhood in Mexico City where he grew up. This movie is set in the early 1970s. It is about a, a, a family... Um, a, a bourgeois family that lives in town, and you know, the father's a doctor, and they have a nice car that can just barely squeeze inside the carport of the house, and this is becomes an issue over the course of the film. Um, and it, this is not a movie that's super plot-heavy, but it's pretty much we are following the life of the maid, um, and... Uh, through her, we see what's going on with the family, but we also see what's going on in her own life. She is played by a newcomer named Yelitsa Aparicio, and she is performing both in Spanish and a, uh, a, a Mexican dialect called Mixteca. Um, Could you understand it when they switch to Mixteca? Oh, no. That's like an indigenous I mean, Mexican I don't know. language. No, Your it's... Spanish is way better than mine, so I figure maybe you might know things I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no. Mixteca is, that's, that's like for people who, you know, who People who were around in Mexico before, like, my ancestors showed up, the country, you know. The countryside. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, but, so, you know, we, we sort of follow, you know, her. She's, she, you know, gets into a relationship with somebody. She gets pregnant, and he does not stick around for that. While, you know, the family marriage is also falling apart. And um, this isn't a movie that's about, like, well, this happens, and this happens, and this happens. It's really just this kind of portrait of these people at this time in this place. And it is beautiful and haunting and, uh, you know, it feels very felt. So, you know, in terms you, you of You just felt the microphone. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 it has these sort of moments of, of just kind of quiet tenderness or pain. But then also these lovely sort of almost Fellini-esque flourishes of like... You know, a bunch of drunk rich people at a party watching the, you know, the, the laborers put out a forest fire, you know, or uh, a, a trip to a furniture store that is suddenly disrupted by a, a violent demonstration in the streets, you know. Um, it's shot in gorgeous black and white, um, shot digitally apparently, but processed in 65. I, I get confused about all the, how this stuff works. But it, And who shot it? Oh, uh, so this is an Alfonso Cuaron film. Yes. So, of course, it is shot by, uh, uh, it's not shot by Emmanuel Alfonso Cuaron shot it. Oh, okay. Well, good on him. All right. So, yeah. I thought you knew that. I'm sorry. I, I was no, setting I you up for I an didn't. exciting moment. No, you're setting me up for an idiot. How dare you? It is not Chibo. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, this movie is so much and you know it's funny because I was talking to our friend Gray Drake about it yeah. and she goes yeah it's a great movie but I don't know that people who turn it on on Netflix are going to have the patience for it because this is a movie that that it summons you into its world in a way that it's not in a hurry to do things and on a big screen like well, I saw it in the Netflix screening room you know it, it is hypnotic and it's haunting and it draws you in but if you're watching it on TV and like your phone is on and you know there's other things in the room happening yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't want to be the guy that says you have to see this in the theater and, and Netflix, to their credit, is giving this uh, uh, something, a, a much like probably the largest theatrical release they've ever given to a film. Mm -hmm. It's opening in, in several cities, you know, before it sort of, it doesn't drop on Netflix until December 14th, I don't think. 15th, something, something like that, yeah. yeah but it's um, opening this weekend, it's this Thanksgiving weekend now. Yeah, right? in like New York, LA, and it's, you know, it's going to make its way around to other markets. I would say if you are going to watch it on Netflix, like, Make the commitment to to divorce yourself from all distractions. Go with it. If you can see it on the big screen, see it on the big screen. It is so beautiful and and moving. And uh, I, Yelitsa Aparicio is like my best actress pick. What, you know, we're LA film critics. We're all going to be yeah. voting soon and talking about this stuff. Like she is top of the heap for me. She has a close up late in the film that is, I think, one of the best close-ups I've seen in a movie since, like, Nicole Kidman in Birth. Wow. I just thought she was so extraordinary. And, and this is her first role, It's her right? first role. Never acted before, but just so intuitive and raw. And it, it, it's even hard to talk about this movie because you really just sort of have to experience right. it for yourself. But I just... 
I felt like I was just living so much stuff looking at this movie and, and thinking about my own life and my parents' lives. And, you know, I mean, I'm about Quaron's age. And so, you know, I think one of the one of the kids in the movie is probably him. And, like, I remember being that age and being in this sort of house. And, like, the house is so specific. He uses it. He shoots it beautifully. Yeah. Yeah, the, the first, the opening shot, speaking of whether to see it, on a screen or see it at home. I mean, the opening shot with the, the titles is like a four minute long just shot of the stone driveway mm-hmm. as she is mopping it and soap bubbles come in and out as she yeah. is mopping up the, the driveway where the dog is pooped again, I'm sure. Yes. But you see in the water reflections of the airplanes pass, overhead. passing overhead and is totally mesmerizing from the very, very beginning. But he holds that shot yeah. for the entirety of the opening titles. And so it's a great example of how the film is hypnotic, but how it also really tests your Demanding, patience. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you, you cannot have your phone on or you cannot have, you know, a, a basket of laundry that you're folding next to you, first of all, because it's in Spanish and, and mixtech and you've got to read, but yeah. also just to really appreciate how exquisite the camera work is. And, and in the house, as you mentioned, it's got like a big great hall and there's a bunch of rooms that shoot off of it. And a couple different times he will just, you know, he made gravity. He likes mm-hmm. his long fluid takes. He will go, you know, just through one room to another, to another. And that will tell its own story. Mm-hmm. And he will do that a couple of different times during the film. And, and the different things we see with each passing are, are so revelatory in a way that like dialogue alone would not be. Right. It tells you a lot about what's going on in this family as far as who is living there, who is not, what state they're in, what their happiness is like. Um, yeah, the, they use the stairways. They use where to put the television in a certain room as a plot point to know mm. how things are changing within the house and who gets what bedroom now. And um, so, yeah, I, I hate to say the house is a character, but they do use it very <laughs> yes. evocatively to just, you know, make you feel as if you are in this house with these people. Yeah. Um, it's also, I think, one of the best portrayals I've ever seen of the kind of unique relationship that can evolve between a, uh, a, a housekeeper and the family that, that they work for because on the one hand, you know, it's the kind, it's the kind of family when they, when they talk about her or to her, they talk about her as, Oh, she's a member of the family, mm-hmm. which and, sounds so condescending, which sounds condescending. <laughs> and, and there are ways in which it is true. Like once she becomes pregnant and is clearly going to have to do this on her own, like they, they, they embrace her and take her in and make sure that she's, you know, medically taken care of and all that stuff. But then at the same time, like she sleeps in the tiny room at the top of the stairs, in above, a separate building, in a separate building above the car. <laughs> Airport where the dog poops, you know. So uh, it, it, it never tries to like soft pedal the fact that you know what, what the what the echelons of, of the of class are, but at the same time, it doesn't completely demonize the family as being like you know overtly cruel or or dismissive of this woman. And I mean, there, there is a genuine affection and there is genuine caretaking going on in both directions. But at the end of the day. There's a master and there's a servant. You there's know? yeah, a sense of maybe like noblesse oblige is what inspires them to do what they do for her. But yeah, when she gets pregnant, um, they do take care of her. And you say that not a whole lot happens in this movie, and that's true. We do sort of just live day in and day out with them as you know time passes and things change. But there are a couple sequences. Oh yeah, where things happen. happen. Oh good lord! I went one particular sequence. I, I don't want to spoil it for you guys, but like. My whole body was completely tense, and I went from that to just like uncontrollable sobbing. Like my, mm. I, I don't, it came out of me. Like it was ugly, and thank God there were not a lot of people with me in the Netflix <laughs> screening room. I was like by myself toward the back, and it was just, a, it was a visceral kind of emotional reaction to a film that like does not happen very often. There's that, and then there's a scene later on where they all go on a little vacation together. Yes. That, again, with the long takes, and you are with them in the middle of what's happening on their little yeah. vacation. Yeah, I mean, this is like basically a Quaron taking the stuff that he, that, that, that wowed you in, you know, Gravity and Children of Men, and mm-hmm. applying it to this very domestic kind of drama. More intimate, Like, yes. there's there's a scene where 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 Yulitsa Aparicio's character goes to see somebody, and she gets off the bus in this neighborhood where like there aren't even sidewalks you have to sort of walk on these wooden slats across the mud across the mud (laughs) and as she's walking there's like a politician giving a speech which ends with a human cannonball Mm -hmm. act and this is all like in the back 
ground as she's just walking, taking this long walk from the bus stop to the place that she's going. And it's like, it's an uninterrupted shot, but it never feels like, hey, look at me. I'm dazzling you with my camera work. It's just, it's just laying out this world and, and, and her place in it and, and what's going on around her. And it's just extraordinary. That's another great example of the Fellini influence too, right? Totally. It's a totally mundane moment and then something really bizarre is happening out of nowhere, but it all kind of seems to make sense somehow. Yeah, it's all, it, it, it's, it's germane and organic. They, yeah, drink. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I really loved it and was really dazzled by it. And I know that a lot of folks were having the theater versus home debate mm-hmm. on film Twitter. If you, oh, yes. If you're following along on film Twitter. And, I, yeah, I absolutely would really urge you to try to go see it. But I, I recognize that's also going to be very difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> so if you have Netflix or if you don't have Netflix, get Netflix. Yeah. And if you're going to watch on Netflix, like I said, prepare yourself. Get Be ready to follow this movie where it's going. Block out as much distraction as you can and just let it sort of envelop you into the story that it's telling. You will be glad you you took the ride. Yes. So what's your number? I said 9.2. Again, this was one of my Venice movies. Uh, I would probably be closer to where you are if I were looking, if I were doing it now, but I I will go with my 9.2 for now. Well, I'm going big again. I'm saying 10 again. The favorite and Roma are both really, really high up there for me. There's not a whole lot left that I have not yet seen. Um, Burning is also very, very high up there for me. Mm -hmm. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, I want to say. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty great week. So our number is a 9.6. It's at 99% on the tomato meter. Who's the naysayer? You know, we're not going to name names. <laughs> you all can look up the tomato meter for yourself to find out who, who relished the idea of ruining its perfect score. I don't, I don't know. Um, let's do Creed 2. Okay. Yeah. Since you seem to enjoy it way more than I did for particular reasons. <laughs> And you also enjoyed it less than I did. Let's talk about our Creed II screening experience, <laughs> shall we? So we had to go to MGM, which I had never been to this version of MGM before. Like it's they, new. They used to be over in, in you know near the Century City Mall. Now they're in the middle of Beverly Hills. And it, the screening was happening on a morning in Beverly Hills where I guess they were lighting the Christmas tree or on, something. On Rodeo Drive, yes. Or, yeah, so like all these streets were blocked. It was just this crazy <laughs> labyrinth. You had to go through an alley to get to the one-way street where you could enter the garage to go to the screening room. Um, and then sitting down the row from us was, who is this person? Bill Simmons. And he's... Super famous. Okay. <laughs> if you say so. He has like five point something million Twitter followers. Well, good for him and them. Yes, um, he was a, he was a sports columnist for ESPN for a while, and then he founded um, the Grantland website. Oh, see, you heard of that? Okay, and, heard then of he, that. and he founded the Ringer, which I would think you would have heard of that too, perhaps because it's, it is sports, but it's also pop culture. No, and he I, had some deal with HBO. I want to say that sounds familiar. Anyway, yeah. he's a, he's a he's sports guy, but also a, a pop culture guy. Well, I, and I know Grantland because you know uh, I went to Vanderbilt. But which had the Grantland Rice Scholarship for sports writers, uh, which my friend Buster Olney, I believe, was a recipient of, and he is now on ESPN. And you're wearing your Vanderbilt sweatshirt tonight, as a I matter am. of fact. Yeah, yeah like I, I, Buster is a college friend of mine, and I never watch ESPN. And I think he knows that and is okay with it. He's good and at his job. That's what I hear. <laughs> so, yeah, so Bill Simmons and his producer sat down the row Maybe from us. Maybe a producer. We don't know. Okay, Bill Simmons and plus, a guy. plus one sat down the row from us. <laughs> And a thing that I have noticed over the years that drives me crazy is people at press screenings who are not critics, who where you can tell that the movie is about the fourth most important thing they have to be doing right then, you know, whether it's some studio executive or like some guy with the radio station who involved, who uh, assembled the screening or something, like people who are just kind of there, but eh, if they get a text, they might need to go outside or whatever. Also, these people never seem to sit on the aisle. So they always have to cross in front of me back and forth and back and forth. And so that's what these two gentlemen did. And uh, the Bill Simmons plus one at one point stepped on my toe. And it took me a day or two to realize that he had split my toenail. My God, which toe? My big toe. On which foot? Left. It's horrible. But not your driving foot. Thankfully, no. Well, it's my shifting foot. But uh, (laughs) I have have a a manual. But... um, yeah, so I have to go like to CVS and get like whatever polish it is that you put on your nail so that it won't grow back splits. That sounds really gross. So you yeah. have talons now. It hurts. 
And he didn't even say he's sorry he or excuse not. me or anything. Neither of them said excuse me as they were entering the row, nor did they say excuse me as they were passing by and this yeah. gentleman stepping on your foot. And you did you did shriek in pain. Yeah, because it hurts. Yeah, understandably so. <laughs> he, he did not seem interested in that. Anyway, you did not like this movie prior to your toe getting split, <laughs> I, no, I believe, I didn't, right? I didn't dislike Creed Two. Here's the thing. Creed was so exciting and felt so fresh and different and kind of taking a new perspective on this long-running, you know, film series while still incorporating Sylvester Stallone and incorporating the Rocky mythos. This felt like it was being told differently and it was a different kind of character. And, you know, Ryan Coogler brought a whole lot of energy to it. And this movie feels less like Creed Two than Rocky Four Part B. It's like a remake of Rocky Four. Kinda, yeah. I mean, like it's basically a pretty good Rocky movie, whereas Creed was like, let's redo the whole Rocky series and like start over with something new and interesting, and 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 you know go back to what made the first one so good, really, which is like let's have some characters you know let's let's have some writing and and not just sort of like big crazy over-the-top moments and this movie is a lot of big crazy over-the-top moments and they're still effective you start playing gonna fly now during a training montage where it's like yeah that stuff still works you know and the fight sequences are really entertaining Although, as somebody said on Twitter, how is it that the commentators in these movies know everything that's happened in all the previous movies and yet are still completely surprised by the, you know, the twists and turns who, of the current Who fight? wins when, yes. Yeah, so, well, so tell us the plot of Greed 2, and there okay. is one. Yeah, there is one. Uh, so at the beginning of the movie, young Adonis Creed uh, wins the heavyweight championship. And so, of course, we know that means he's got a target on his back. And <laughs> the person who is most... Uh, ready to, 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 to knock that target is the son of Ivan Drago. What are the odds? Uh, yeah, you know. Who, His name who, is Victor Drago. Victor Drago. Nobody here, by the way, is Russian. No, 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 no. We have Dolph Lundgren, who's Swedish. Swedish. Uh, Florian um, Muntianu. Muntianu, who's, who is uh, Romanian. Roma- he's born in Germany, but he is of Romanian descent. Yes. He's like a six foot four giant dude, known. Otherwise, as uh, nasty, big nasty, big nasty. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Although I suggested then he should be named Big Tasty. Yes, that's well, not uh, my type. That's it's your type, not is. my type. <laughs> anyway, so so we we find out that Ivan Drago has been basically living in exile in Finland and stripped of all of his you know fancy Soviet whatever ever since you know his defeat at the hands of Rocky Balboa. And so now he sees a way back by you know he's been like he's been stage momming his mm-hmm. his son this whole time and he's going to have him fight the son of Apollo Creed who of course Ivan Drago killed in Rocky IV in the ring and um, uh, Adonis takes the fight he shouldn't take the fight Rocky won't be his manager for the fight he doesn't lose the fight but he gets the crap beaten out of him and so will they fight again and how will it turn out this time and and if they fight again, will Rocky have to, like, break him and rebuild him? And meanwhile, you know, like, in the much more interesting story, you know... Uh, Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson is Bianca. Uh, they get married. They have a kid. Is the kid going to inherit her hearing loss? We're not sure. And... Um, you know, their story is actually really interesting. That You know, I, I, I love that Killmonger and Valkyrie got together. Um, <laughs> no, they're incredibly magnetic. And, and, you know, their lives and their stories seem, you know, sort of life-sized as opposed to sort of the grandiosity of, 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 the, of what the later Rocky movies became. But, you know, this is ultimately, you know, training montages and cool fight sequences. And here we go again. Montage. <laughs> Even Rocky had a montage, as the song goes. And so Creed Two has multiple montages. So I guess, yeah, it's total formula. It gives the people what they want. Yeah, it, it, um, as Matt would say, it does what it says in the box. It does. And he also would probably call it stupid with multiple O's if he were here. <laughs> he was going to be here, but he has a cold and no. does not want to get us sick. So he's Feel staying better, home. Yes. Um, yeah, it's it's disappointment coming from Creed because, as, as you say, Creed did kind of breathe new life into a very staid kind of formula that was familiar but perhaps too much so um although i feel like that that last rocky balboa that existed just prior to creed was pretty good wasn't it you know i didn't see that one i feel like there was like a words talk for sylvester stallone for that one maybe that was just the nostalgia Mm. talking um yeah i mean when he and michael b jordan are 
together or when Michael B. Jordan and Tessa Thompson are together. When it's about everything else but the boxing. Yes. This is a really good movie. This is a well-acted movie. This is not directed by Ryan Coogler. This is directed by Stephen Capel Jr. It's only his second feature. Mm -hmm. He did a movie called The Land about Cleveland. Okay. That was his first feature. Don't know. I don't think I saw it. So um, I was not familiar with him. He'd done some shorts and some television work. And yeah, like the, the fight scenes are well staged. The montage sequences are exciting, but also there's a knowing quality to the inspirational cheesiness of them so that you can, you know, laugh along with them perhaps. Sure. Um, there is a conspicuous lack of... Of Brigitte Nielsen. <laughs> well, that she's in it at all, I, I, you know. I, a, I, gasped I gasped audibly. <laughs> yeah, because like given her history with Mr. Stallone, it was like, you know, I just sort of figured she was persona non grata. So when they trot her out, it's like, oh, ooh, we're doing this now. But then they don't really do anything with her. She says like two words. She goes, Strasvivikter, which is a very formal way of saying hello in Russian. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, yeah, it was sort of exciting to see her well-preserved <laughs> as she is. And I kind of wanted more of her because she brings is like a whole nother level of like juicy melodrama to this boxing soapiness here um but there's not nearly enough of her yeah, yeah it's fine you know it's fine it's, it's a step down from the original creed i guess people who loved creed will go see this and yeah. feel satisfied it's it, it's like fan fiction you know it's like <laughs> what if what if apollo creed's kid fought Thought. yvonne drago's kid <laughs> and they actually made that movie and now it's called creed 2 it might look a little something like this <laughs> yeah you know it's the sort of movie where if it's, you know, it's the day after Thanksgiving and maybe you're not particularly interested in anything that's on TV and, oh, what should we all go see? Oh, it's Creed 2 showing up. Okay, let's go see that. Like, it, you know, it, 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 as a time filler, like, it, it, it is effective at just sort of being straightforwardly. It is, it's, it is Rocky Eight. That is what it yeah. is. What it is. is it rated R? No. Is it? I don't know. I'm going to look and see. I need to find out now. I, I can't imagine that it... It's PG-13. Yeah. It is, no, yeah. I don't I mean, think any of them have been rated R. It's very violent, but not that violent, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's hand-to-hand violent. It's mm-hmm. not like gun violent, but yeah, there's some... There's some splatter for sure your big tasty guy is not very good in this he's just like big and beefy and that's i guess that's all he has to be he has to yeah. be an idea yeah he, he only has a few more lines of dialogue than brigitte Nielsen <laughs> does but as an as a as a presence he's interesting because like he is a full head taller than michael b jordan yeah so even though michael b jordan is like you know completely ripped and like you know ready to go this guy just so physically overpowers him that like you know it, it, the 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 fight has to be about outsmarting him and outflanking him and all that stuff because just you know in terms of sheer brawn this guy's got it yeah no they they don't shy away from that and quite the opposite they address that in terms of strategy as you say mm-hmm. so yeah so um your your big nasty guy is six foot four mm-hmm. and michael b jordan according to imdb is 5'11". I'm not sure I believe that. Hmm. Maybe he is. Hmm. I'll tell you, you know, I, I have seen, I've never seen Michael B. Jordan in person. I've seen Stallone in person. He's short. He's short. Yeah. Although I found out today that Sinatra was only 5'8". Oh, he played taller. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's fine. My number is, uh, I, I'm going to make my number lower, I think, Move now that in. I'm talking about it. I'm going to say 6.4. Yours is 6.6. All right. So we're at a six and a half. 6.5. It's 79% on the tomato meter. And again, I suspect that's probably a lot of like, eh, it's fine. Yeah. That's like two and a half star reviews. So that is Creed 2. And how did you manage to not see the Wreck-It Ralph sequel? How did you no, avoid No, I that? did. You have a number. Oh, no, I don't have a number. That's right. I don't have a number. You have a number. I, I gotta, how did you avoid us? I did not. Thing. I did not. I'm, I'm looking at our, our little spreadsheet wrong. Okay, so I need to preface this conversation about Ralph Breaks the Internet by um, saying that the writer-director of it, Phil Johnston, is a really good friend of ours. Oh, okay. So right. you've seen it, but you just can't give it a number. Right. I've seen it, and I can't give it a number. But legitimately, I really genuinely like it, and I want to talk about it with you. Okay. Um, but I have to – I was originally going to recuse myself, but then I thought – like, I really like it. I And I'm not just saying this because he's an old friend of ours. No, but. look, if, if anything, you, it, when your friend makes a movie that you don't like, you just stay mum. Yeah. <laughs> no, so so we have known Phil and his wife, Jill, for like 15 years. We all lived in the same loft building Wait, with them. Yep. Chris and Christy are friends with Phil and Jill. We're super cute. Oh, my God. I also have I have college friends, one of my sorority sisters. Her name is Kelly. She married a guy named Kelly. So they're, they're Kelly and Kelly. They're super, they're super cute. White people. Awesome. <laughs> so, so we are all really old friends. 
friends. We lived in the same loft building in Brooklyn and, um, sort of like for 15 years we've known each other and then we all weren't going to have kids and then got pregnant within two weeks of each other on opposite coasts. And then they moved out to LA and we had our kids together and our kids are all friends. And mm. anyway, so I'm really proud of Phil and really happy for him that this has all come together for him. So I'm one of the handful of critics that pooped on his new movie. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to describe the poopage? <laughs> All right, so uh, we're back at the arcade where everybody's still living somehow, even though most arcades have gone the way of Blockbuster Video. And, um, you know, Ralph is delighted with his life. He likes the routine. You know, he works all day, and then at night he hangs out with his pal Vanellope, and they sit in the tapper game and drink root beer, and everything's great, and everything's predictable, and he likes it that way. She is chafing a bit against all the sameness, and um, one day... The wheel on her game breaks. Um, the steering which, wheel. The steering wheel, which leads to a whole complicated thing about who's actually controlling the game. Is it the, 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 the human players or the people in the game? But anyway, we'll, Both. Put, we'll put that aside. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the arcade owner, they look it up on eBay and the wheel costs like 200 bucks, and that's more than that game makes in a year. So the, the, in a week, the, the, the arcade owner is going to get rid of it. And so all, all of the people who live in Vanellope's game are homeless. And to, to try and fix things, uh, she and Ralph get into a new thing that is they've got at the arcade called Wi-Fi mm-hmm. and go into the Internet to go to eBay to try and buy this wheel. But then, of course, they discover they don't need money, so they have to make money you, first by trying to collect loot from video games, uh, especially this uh, racing game called Slaughter Race. Slaughter Race, um, which is we- like Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, very kind of gritty uh, uh, auto race game, which Vanellope is very excited to be in. Um, but Ralph is scared by it. And then Ralph be- tries to become a viral video star to make money from all the hits. So he impersonates like the screaming goat and he eats the ghost pepper and he does, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, Vanellope maybe wants to stay in the Internet. And what's that going to do to her friendship with Ralph? And, you know, are they going to get the wheel in time? And, um. Yeah, I just I found a lot of this movie to be kind of tough going. The the part that I thought I was going to hate when it started wound up being my favorite part of the movie. What's that? Which is when they wander into the Disney website. It's the best part of the movie. Is the best part of the movie. I, they're giving away some of it, and I'm going to keep it very vague. But basically, you'll recall from the first movie, or if you've read the Wikipedia page, because I don't really remember the details of Wreck-It mm-hmm. Ralph either. Mm-hmm. But Vanellope is a princess, and she meets uh, her fellow uh, sorority of Disney. <laughs> princesses and it's very funny and it's the best one of the best uh, one of the best scenes of the year frankly uh but in a movie that, uh, that i was kind of otherwise eh about um yeah it just kind of felt like it, it, i'll tell you more often than not it kept reminding me of the emoji movie well it's not frantic and empty like the emoji no movie but the whole though. but the the general plot of like we have to we have to navigate through all of these in the emoji movies like we have to go through all these apps so like oh we're in instagram we're in spotify and in this one it's we're going through sites we're in it's not youtube but it's youtube and we're in you know or all the you know not google but it's google like all these sites that are you know, different stopping points or, or things that have to be, you know, uh, tra- traversed or whatever. I was like, oh, this, that all felt kind of familiar. And I don't know. It. I was just overall kind of not feeling it for the most part. Okay. I was impressed. The, the scene that you're talking about, and I don't want to give it away either, but I was really impressed with how much they were able to get away with. Mm-hmm. Because they're simultaneously not unlike the Teen Titans Go movie, which mm. we enjoyed very much, yes. is simultaneously making fun of like its most sacred tropes while <laughs> right. also embracing them. Yeah. So I don't really know how they... It's, it's like surprisingly subversive, and I was really impressed by that. The song that Vanellope sings, her, yes. her own little princess song, yes. same thing. It also was kind of making fun of... The kinds of Alan Menken actually wrote, wrote it. Yeah, well, no, Phil Phil wrote it. Phil wrote the lyrics, oh, okay. but Alan Menken is part of it too. Maybe did the some of the lyrics, some of the music. Anyway, I don't know, but they work on it together. Funny. Phil, so Phil wrote and directed it with Rich Moore, who directed the first Rick Ralph. Um, I was impressed with the energy of it, but also the characters are so well drawn that by the end, when they have to make tough decisions and real decisions. Um, you feel for them and there's something that she says to Ralph at the end that like surprisingly kind of got to me. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> no, 
I, I, well, I'm in the minority here. No, no, no. Clearly, I have the heart of stone for some reason. No, 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 no. I know that a lot of folks also feel like there's a lot of um, very gratuitous product placement. Mm. But, and I asked him how that came about. Like, how do you decide which websites to visit, which apps or whatever? And they wanted, some are fake and some are real, which is kind of like, you know, what the video games were like in the arcade. I mean, they are playing sure, actual yeah. video games in the arcade, so I think they were trying to create a, a sense of authenticity with that. Um, no, I had a blast. I mean, Sarah Silverman and John C. Riley as voice actors bring great richness and uh, have a lot of fun with it. No, they're fine. Taraji P. Henson has a few fun moments. Yeah. Yes. I like Gal Gadot as the, bad yes. a- the badass driver in the Slaughter Race game. Very much so. Do you think that they are trying to hint at a possible kind of... Friendship and more between Vanellope and Gal Gadot's character, whose name no. escapes me. They seem to be kind of like Shank, I believe. Shank, her name. yeah. They seem to be kind of like a, I don't know, a vibe, a flirty uh, vibe. Mm, I didn't get that, but well, no, maybe, maybe it's only a girl crush. Who can say? Who can say? <laughs> I, I, I construed it that way as may, maybe a girl crush and maybe more that, like, of all the games in all the world, Vanellope is drawn <laughs> to this one. You know, it's, it's, it's thrilling. It's, it's a driving game, but it's thrilling. And this is a woman who just. You know, personify everything that seems cool about this brave new world for her. I like Alan Tudyk as the voice of the search engine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> no, nothing got to here. I had a really good time. I was impressed by the energy and how well it was drawn and the characters, and I had a good time. Yeah, I don't know. It just, like I said, there were parts of it that just felt really familiar, and uh, you know, I, I, I definitely there there's a, there was a moment in the not YouTube. Uh, site where, where, you know, he turns a corner that he shouldn't, and I was like... <laughs> There's great truth to that moment, isn't there? There's Very great so. truth along the way. Within, like, the zippy, crazy, colorful world, there, there are nuggets of truth, but I here, But here's the thing. I think that movies that try to satirize specific things about the internet are, are setting themselves up for eventual, or not even eventual, like, pretty quick failure in terms of tr- like, trying to satirize memes... Memes come and go so fast. Mm-hmm. Like, the screaming goat is not going to mean a thing to people in a year. But the notion of what that represents will last longer, right? I, it's I, it's I, specific to this point in time, but, like, what the internet is good and bad for sure. is no, no, no. perennial. I, in, the, in, the, in the macro, yeah, mm-hmm. they they, have, they hit on some ideas. But in trying to – if you try and satirize specific stuff like that, in, in my review in the rap, I said it's like trying to make a Tazon Day joke, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like – you know, and I and I and I put in a hyperlink in my review of people who didn't remember who Tazon Day was, but you know, he was, was it like, that long ago. It was that long, it was like <laughs> ten years ago. You know, and and but I think there's just there's so much stuff that, and I'm not I'm not making this movie the sole target on this, but I just think in moving forward, movies that are trying to be about things on the internet would do better to make up memes that reflect what memes are like than trying to be too specific because it's just going to date them so quickly. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, Dan Waters always says that he made up all the teen slang for Heathers because he knew that if he used whatever the current teen slang was, it was going to be woefully out of date by the time the movie came out. And people are still quoting Heathers slang as, exactly. if, as if it were a real thing. It is still very. Totally. Um, anyway, I am a fan, but I can't give it a number. I would say go take your kids. We went, Chris and I went, and we took Nicholas, and we all had a blast so i would say this is good for any age i mean maybe the slaughter race game seems a little scary you know it's it's like an intense kind of gritty post-apocalyptic los angeles but there's a part where like there's a vicious dog barking at them and then a shark comes out of the Mm -hmm. man and eats the dog there's silly stuff in it so yeah so maybe like age i don't know six and up especially if you've seen the first one so yeah i had a really good time great I'm happy. With I, it. I, what did I give it a five point eight? You gave it a five point nine. Even better. Five point nine. Yeah, I, it, it, it was like very. It, it was. Here's the thing. If if Bohemian Rhapsody was as low a fresh as I could give, this is my highest rotten. Okay, <laughs> we'll take that. It's at it's at ninety three percent on the tomato meter. So everybody, everybody else likes this, but you. I know. I'm an outlier. You, Tim, you Tim and Tim Pearson and I can have drinks about it. Yes. So um, that is that. And so you have not seen Shoplifters, which is the reason for our opening song. Yes, which I'm I am dying to see it. Uh, I've been wanting to see it ever since the Cannes Film Festival, where it won the Palme d'Or this year. Uh, I have not. The screenings were just the times that I couldn't go, so I will buy a ticket. I want very much to see it. It's definitely one on my list of films that I feel like I definitely need to see before, like L.A. Film Critics. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure you do. Um, I saw it last night. I blew off Robin Hood, 
<laughs> Which I think I think I made the right call. Uh, yeah, me too. I, I blew it off, but last night was also uh, the Spider-Man cartoon. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that with you. I'm yes. seeing it on Sunday. I'm very excited. Nick is really pumped about Spider-Verse. I'm under an embargo. We'll talk about we'll it. We'll talk about it some other time, yes. Um, but and so instead of seeing Robin Hood, I saw another movie about people who rob from the rich and give to the <laughs> poor, and that is Shoplifters. Um, it is the latest from Hirokazu Koreeda. The Japanese master, who I have to say, I don't think I have seen that many of his films. Have I'm embarrassed you? to say I have not either. Right, but so I've, I've assigned reviews of them in years past. There you I've go. Um, it is about a family, and I'm putting that in quotes, kind of a family of people who are crammed together in this hovel, kind of on the outskirts of Tokyo, and they're living on the pension of the grandmother, and they shoplift to survive day to day they also have jobs kind of like the the dad played by hang on i want to get all this right lily frankie who was great um the dad has a job in construction kind of um the mom played by ando sakura has a job as a washerwoman at some kind of laundry thing there's a sister played by matsuoka mayu who has some, some kind of like a vague sex worker job she like masturbates in a cubicle for Mm. random guys they're they're all struggling to make ends meet but they along with the two kids here just steal random stuff and you get the sense that yeah that's how they survive but they also get a kick out of it like Mm. the dad and the son this little boy um who's um shota played by joe kaidi i'm butchering all these japanese names i apologize um it's kind of like a fun game for them, and there's like a mischievous kind of twinkle in their eye, and kind of like a fist bump they do when they hmm. pull off, you know, random little bits of food from the corner store or whatever. One day on the way home from one of their their runs, they see a little girl by herself on a balcony, and she's cold and she's lonely, and they hear arguing going on. She's, she's been abused physically, clearly, and so they don't have a whole lot of room. And they don't have a whole lot of food to share, but they bring her home. Mm. And it's already crowded. There's already like five of them in there, and they bring this little girl home, too, to share with them. And bringing her home in time requires all of them to revisit what their relationship is with each other and what are they really doing here together. And we talked about Roma earlier and how it really does not have much of a plot that's also rather true of shoplifters. It's just about the day-to-day of how they survive and how they slowly evolve. And then a lot happens in like the last half hour that reveals who they are and what they're doing. And it requires all of us to revisit how we've been feeling about these people all along as well. And it's masterful. It is so subtle. It is so rich in its humanism and just like devastating in the acts of cruelty and abuse and neglect that it depicts in a very understated way. It's not melodramatic. It's really quiet and like confidently assured in in an understated way. Um, And then when things happen, they are earned, to use a phrase we like to say around here a lot. It all makes sense, and and he has brought you there emotionally. And um, I'm really – I'm being very, very vague, and I apologize for that. But it's it's the kind of movie that you really need to experience. Sure. Um, Yeah, I was kind of blown away by it, and it it shakes you up. And, like, the the small moments of kindness, like, will just wreck you. Mm. It's small, tiny joys that they find in their little hovel. Like, they can hear the pop, pop, pop of fireworks, and they crane – they sit on their porch, and they kind of crane their heads out to look up at the stars and look up at the sky. And they can't really see the fireworks from where they are, but they can hear them just enough that it's almost the same. And and it sounds – kind of like poverty porn like we're wallowing with them in their squalor but there's such decency to understanding these people and what motivates them to make the decisions that they do anyway i realize i'm just rambling and not (laughs) helping but i really really want everyone to see this and i don't want to spoil the many twists that it eventually takes the performances are all like lovely and understated and excellent and heartbreaking and I don't even know what more to say without blowing this. So um, I would say go see Shoplifters. I believe it's 
and it's at least LA this weekend because we're talking about it on film week tomorrow. Maybe was it New York last week, and maybe it's LA this weekend. Uh, anyway, I, I can't remember. But it, apparently, if you go to the Magnolia Pictures website, like they have dates going through like the end of February. So this is going to be making its way around. Yeah, no, the little, even like the little girl in it. She's this little five-year-old girl. The, I mean, the character is five. Um, played by Sasaki Miyu. I mean, she's just really expressive in. Like not a moppity way at all, mm. just like in a like understated way. Anyway, I dug it. It's definitely something you should see before you vote. I'm good. I, I know that you will. No, no. Um, this and burning both are, are very important and 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 really quiet in the way that they depict big ideas, and mm. that's, that's kind of stunning about them both. So I'm saying nine point six. All right. Yes, it's at ninety eight percent on the tomato meter. I realize it was a terrible film review just now, and I didn't no, really like describe it, it very sometimes, well. But sometimes you have to just kind of <laughs> you have to cut. To, in the words of Carly Rae Jepsen, you have to cut to the feeling. Oh, you know. are we quoting Carly Rae Jepsen <laughs> on the show now? Okay, cool. I didn't you know, realize we have gone there. You, you, you don't want to talk about the, the details of what happened, so you talk about how it made you feel, and that's, that's valid. It's really lovely and really masterful, and just, like, the, the pacing of it is kind of perfect. Like, it's... It's like two hours long and does not feel like it. You feel like you've like lived with these people, whether mm. you want to or not. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. Anyway, so go see it. Um, so our, to go back and look at what we talked about this week, the favorite, which might be my favorite, we gave a 9.4. Roma, we're giving a 9.6. Record Ralph, I'm sorry, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Alonzo gives a 5.9. Creed 2, we give a 6.5, I want to say, yes. you said. And then I'm saying 9.6 on shoplifters. So um, it's a big week. And eventually, I do want to play catch up with Buster Scruggs. We do need to see mm, that. At some yes, point. yes, we should talk about I know that. you have seen it, and mm-hmm. Matt has seen it, and it's on Netflix. So yes. I can see. And I, I can't imagine us not talking about a Coen Brothers film on this show. Indeed. Um, I feel like maybe next week is slim pickings as far as new releases go. Yes, it is. Uh, it's basically like possession of hannah grace i think and uh, and i liked anne in the apocalypse i did too okay good it's we, cute we'll it's cheeky yes it's a scottish romantic comedy zombie musical at christmas at christmas <laughs> yes it's, it's the whole venn diagram the whole thing it's all in there it's a mad lib of a movie yeah so we'll get to all of those yeah coming soon what else is coming soon mowgli Oh, yeah. It's screening. Yeah, it is. So Andy Serkis directed this? Yeah, and that was supposed to be like Warner Brothers' sort of rival Jungle Book thing, and now it's on Netflix. It's really interesting. Andy Serkis directed it. Is he also... And Christian Bale. Christian Bale, Kate Blanchett, Benedict Cumberbatch, Naomi Harris, Andy Serkis is Baloo, Matthew Reese, Rita Pinto... I, I think it's, it's, it's I think, voices. I think it's all mo. Well, I don't know. Maybe they, all, they might have all said on the mocap. I don't know. Anyway, it sounds kind of impressive. So mm. I, I'm seeing. It. I'm, I'm going to make Nick go see it with me. So. I will. I will try and get to that one as well. All right, cool. So um, thank you very much, you guys, for being awesome and for sticking with us through everything, thick and thin. Have a lovely Thanksgiving, if indeed you are in a place where they celebrate it. Yes. Um, anything else? Uh, thank you for uh, for your patience. We will have exciting news for you in the coming week. We keep saying that. We think, but we mean it. Eventually, we're going to mean <laughs> it. <laughs> All right. Thank you for sticking around. Have a great holiday. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye.